Hey, this is your old pal, Robbie Griswold at the Residential College. Welcome back to the RC Podcast and our February 2019 episode. Today, I'm having Tertulia and Kaffeestunde with two of our beloved RC language faculty. Instead of boring you with my intro, how about you two introduce yourselves and maybe say a bit about how and when you came on board to the RC language program. I'm Janet Hegmanshear, and I've been teaching... I was recruited to teach in the German program in the RC when I was in graduate school in Russian and German many, many years ago. And I teach intensive German and contemporary German theater. I confess I never expected to become a German teacher. And, um, and I almost never tell anyone at a cocktail party when they ask what I do. I almost never say I'm a German teacher because everybody has an opinion about that. Um, because people think they know something about Germany. Um, And for the most part, most Americans' ideas of what Germany is like today is about 70 years outdated. So I'm Olga Lopez-Cotin, and I was also recruited when I was a graduate student. I was about to write my dissertation at the time, and I didn't, I had plenty of time because I was not taking classes, so I was able to accommodate the requirements of the lunch tables and the coffee hours, and I had always heard about this RC mystery <laughs> place, and so I walked into this place in around 1990, and I loved it. I left, and then I came back when the former program head retired, and I was offered the job in 1996. So I fell in love with the RC. When I first moved here to the RC, the the space was actually pretty heterogeneous. Um, Across from me, I had Anne Savage, who was teaching art. I could hear Jane Heinrich doing music lessons with the students, hearing the piano. We had Carolyn Balducci teaching creative writing. So teaching language felt like it belonged to a much larger project. We were not like separate programs or we were, you know, embedded in a larger framework that, you know, where where the humanities, the social sciences, the arts spoke to each other in a very natural way, not planned, not structured. And the language programs here are the way I wish I would have been taught to learn languages. Why? What what makes the RC language program stand out from other language learning approaches? Why? Because I, I think these programs are really effective. They are very logical. They're organic. They make sense. The students have a sense of ownership when they learn, and we feel that we are also, I mean, simply guiding them into finding that way to ownership of the, of the learning process. I don't think there's a program like our language programs in the world. Uh, if you're studying, it's, I mean, some, one may automatically think that it's an advantage to be studying in the countries, but I think it's been, it's pretty well established that you're better off getting a head start before you go to live in a country. You're just going to accelerate uh, your learning that much faster. We really keep up with what's going on in the countries, the cultures that we teach. And um, I know that Uh, an unusually high percentage of our students go on to study or work in in a country where they can use the language, and they understand that it's very different being proficient in a language as opposed to 
just learning a language for a requirement. So we don't have letter grade, so students can we can push students. They can take risks because they don't feel they're being judged negatively for doing that. We teach in, in a very thorough way, in ways that sometimes are teacher-centered, sometimes are student-centered, and sometimes it's like horizontal learning. Everybody is learning from each other and exchanging students from different levels and um, instructors in different classes. We all mingle, and it creates a sense of community, which is the way to learn. We get acknowledged around the world for the work that our students can do. Everybody always asks us what we're feeding our students. <laughs> Could you give us a bit more of a sense for your programs, like how many students participate, the faculty, uh, the topics you cover in discussions and in reading assignments? I think the, the Spanish program, it, it's actually, right now it focuses on Latino in the United States, the history of the Latino movements in the 60s, um, present-day questions. I mean, we talk from border, from maquilas to uh, the caravan. I mean, these are issues that are very present and they're really relevant to... And students can relate quickly because they hear that in the news, even if they don't know that much about that. You know, I've worked with uh, students from Colombia, from Peru, from Ecuador, from Argentina, from Chile, uh, from Puerto Rico. Some accents are a little easier than others for students. We find that a very healthy challenge for our students to understand that they have to constantly be adjusting at the lunch table or the coffee hour to understand what one instructor is saying and the other one would be saying in a different way, with different vocabularies, and the, to understand that languages are not fixed structures, but that we have sometimes very different and conflicting ways of saying, expressing things, in, and that's okay. When I first came here in the mid-90s, there was actually a major surge in a student enrollment in all the programs, in the Spanish programs in, in the nation. So this was pretty interesting because not only did I have to kind of own the program that was new, a new task for me, but also I had to learn to deal with new logistics, how to assess, how to ensure that students would have individual attention, that we could manage the number of students. I, I think these, these numbers have decreased over the years, because it was, I mean, in general, um, I think there are many other languages being offered that students are interested in. You know, the 9-11 changed the land linguistic landscape, among other things, and students develop a strong interest in Arabic. Chinese is also a language that is very powerful for economic reasons and political reasons. In that sense, I would say, yeah, we man, I mean, I just had a proficiency with 50 students. It's, you know, it's an extensive group, I would say. Well, when I first came here, and I actually came here in the 80s, and when I first came here, there was a bigger German program um, that reflected what was going on nationwide. There were roughly 25 to 30 students at each level every semester, and now we tend to have um, 10 to 15 15 being a maximum in our courses ever. And we have the same group in the morning and the afternoon, so we don't have a split section in the afternoon. I've actually been really proud of 
how well our program has done, despite many German programs actually being cut nationwide. We have three faculty members currently. Um, normally we have two. And uh, the students are in the same group all the way through, and they get very close, and it's a very supportive program. That's one of the things I really love about teaching here. One thing about our language program that stands out to me personally is the way that our faculty supplement language learning with opportunities to apply these skills in real-world settings, engaging the arts and service. Janet, could you share about your work with Deutsches Theater? I've been teaching German theater since 1985, and there was an article done recently within the last three years about foreign language theater programs nationwide. And friends of mine and former actors and former colleagues, I think five or six people wrote to me and said, you need to send this person an, an email with, about your theater company. And I know different people told this person about it, but I was, frankly, I was in production at the time and didn't have time to contact them to even inform them about our theater company. And the article came out and a bunch of people sent me the article. If I can find it, I will. Uh, it turns out that they discovered that our theater program in our small RC German program had, produ had done more productions in, in the last 10 years than any other program in any other language and that we were also considered to be the most comprehensive theater program because in 2000, I added to this, um, to the importance of performing in a second language, the German theater study trip. We've gone since 2002, I guess it was, to either Munich and the Alps or we go to Berlin and Dresden. And in some years, we've gone to Munich, the Alps, Nuremberg, Dresden, and Berlin to compare different theaters and to study through the arts. And it's sort of put us on the map, um, although we still are small. And students come, often students do German theater for four years. Some students stay in town and come back. We have alumni intergenerational workshops with current students and alumni actors, and that's just incredibly powerful. Um, for the 50th anniversary of the RC, Deutsches Theater kicked off the, the opening night of the reunion, and I was just so pleased that over 50 of my alumni actors came back. That was a really powerful evening. Olga, could you give us a taste for the outreach programming that the Spanish faculty oversee? My, my colleague, Mabel Rodriguez, she developed a, a program for migrant workers uh, in the spring and summer, and she's been doing that for a number of years where, you know, she prepares students academically first in the spring and then works in the camps, teaching English, working with the, uh, the farmers there, trying to create a good connection and support for, for the, the Latino families there teaching English and helping the kids and the women and workers. The student organization Palma that Christian leads and has been working for 15 years. In the last few years, it has established a long relationship with the 
public library and students meet with Latino families and their kids twice a week. Our students tutor the, the children and help them mostly with reading and homework in general. And we are very proud of, of this work because it does have tangible results. Uh, there are students from Palma that started as little kids and now have graduated, have gone to I mean, universities in the area, uh, Eastern Michigan, and one of them has been accepted at University of Michigan in the College of Engineering. It's pretty impressive. Olga and I actually had the opportunity to develop a course together that we got a big grant for, and that's just the kind of special thing that, that's possible to do in the residential college. Olga was teaching about Roma Sinti in Spain, and I was teaching about Jews and Muslims in Germany today, and we were able to have the group made up of half Spanish students and half German students, and then we also traveled to each other's country uh, with the whole group and spent half the time in Granada and half the time in Berlin. And just that kind of wonderful experience of studying something in the classroom and then going to the place and really seeing how things work. Uh, I've been able to, I haven't unfortunately been able to team teach with Olga since then. We both have so much commitment to our own programs with teaching just our regular course load that it's almost a shame that we can't re repeat opportunities like that. But I think we both have continued on in our own field. So the project developed into much more involvement on our theater trips in, in Berlin with the immigrant community. We've also done tutoring for a nonprofit in the Rollberg Fiddle of Neukölln, which is a heavily immigrant-populated district in, in, in Berlin with about 80% immigrant population, and we work with at-risk kids. So my students have tutored them, and we've also done a performance with them that was choreographed by a major choreographer in Berlin and presented our show to in front of their families. Now, to be fully transparent with the folks listening, I was a lucky duck who got to participate in the course with Janet and Olga in 2006 when I was a student here, and I had taken proficiency in Spanish, and then I took intensive one in German, so I got to dabble in both sections. The time we spent in Granada and Berlin are among my most savored memories from college. Karin Gertz of the RC German program, along with the LSA Department of Germanic Languages and Literatures and Arts at Michigan, will bring an artist-in-residence later this month, Margaret Strasburger, to workshop with students and perform her one-woman show about the German-Jewish poet Masha Kaleko here at the Keene Theater. Russian has also been exploring using theater as a way to practice and solidify language skills, and we had the fortune to have an artist-in-residence, Irina Kutsiva, here last semester to direct a wonderful and boisterous evening of Russian theater in the Keen. 
Since 2009, the French program, under the direction of Dominique Butler Borouat, has been sending and preparing RC French students to volunteer weekly with Detroit Freedom House, which provides shelter and offers legal help to victims of persecution seeking asylum in the U.S., including many from French speaking Africa. My podcast co producer, first year RC student Zan Hamid, wandered up and down the halls of his quad asking his peers for questions that they wanted to ask the two of you. Uh, I can tell it makes you a bit nervous. Um, the first one is for Janet. Students see you posting pictures on Facebook of reindeer, and you draw them and you mention them here and there, and they want to know why are you so interested in reindeer? Well, reindeer are really amazing animals. They have gorgeous eyes. They've been domesticated for thousands of years, and, and they actually have 25% more capillaries in their nose than humans. So they're, they're in such cold climates that when they breathe in, it keeps their lungs warm enough that they don't get sick. This is how I understand it. It does go back to my roots in northern Finland or in Lapland, and... Uh, I just figured out, actually, that um, there's a more serious answer to this, too. Um, after my parents both died, I realized I don't have children. I mean, I realized that actually before my parents died, but um, <laughs> I, I realized that I needed to find a way to view family in a different way, and I decided to go and try to find my roots in Finland. And it's interesting that the year that I went was 2013 and I taught myself to draw on the first day on the last day that I was in Berlin where I where I went to Finland from and on the first day that I was in Finland and I had I admit that I had been sort of feeling like a fraud because I've studied the arts for many years and I I've done all sorts of art forms comp composition music composition theater production photography, and I made my students do arts, uh, bookbinding, <laughs> but, I, but I never really had the nerve to draw or paint myself, and it went back to a grade school teacher writing across a, a picture that I had made that I really liked in her red ink pen, stems should never cross. Uh, my picture, C+. <laughs> Probably one of the only C's I ever got, but maybe I've forgotten. Maybe I've suppressed that. And I care so much about what my students think. If I, I try to be very gentle in criticism, and I honestly have no problem with people making mistakes or struggling, and I would never do that. And that teacher launched my public speaking career. I quite often show that picture. I still have it. It's the only artwork that my mother saved from me growing up. And... Um, I decided that summer at the end of one of our Berlin trips that I was going to do something about it in addition to going to discover my roots. And so I taught myself to draw a little bit, but I really became a painter. And I still and didn't know how to draw still. And then I decided to learn how to cartoon, and I got into Linda Berry's works, and I started cartooning. And the animal that I kept being most pleased with was the reindeer, and it has become sort of a self-portrait for me. And the reason is... I put my reindeer in very fancy clothing, and those are the clothes that I would like to wear, and someday I hope to design fabric. Speaking of fabric, Olga, Zan heard multiple students say that you tend to wear scarves frequently. 
What about scarves make them one of your favorite articles of clothing? I think scarves are just fun little happy things in my clothing. <laughs> I, I, you know, you have to cheer up the, the space because this is very dark and very gloomy. And I think that... You mean I'm, Michigan? Yeah, Michigan. Yeah, so I think that it just makes for a fun little thing. I have to knit scarves that I actually have been using for years and years. I don't use anything else, but these are actually very meaningful to me. <clears throat> they were they were knit by the mother of a very dear friend. She had cancer. She was going through chemotherapy, and she was dying, and she took on knitting. And she just made these very long, very beautiful, very soft scarves, and I have two of those. And I, I cherish them. I actually, they, they mean a lot to me because I know they were very meaningful to my friend and he had a very powerful connection with his mother. So it's a, it's a circle. I don't buy clothes very much, but I just cherish my clothes. So I, you know, over the years, you know, they have history. They either my own or they're secondhand, and I like that. And, it's, uh, and I think my scarves have been there forever. Once in a while, I get another one, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being put on the spot with those questions. <laughs> and uh, now, let's shift directions a bit. How would you describe the RC to a new student or faculty member, and what advice would you give to a prospective RC person who may be listening to this episode? When students come to the RC, I think students or faculty, I think when anybody comes to the RC, it takes a little bit of adjustment. You may, they may think they understand what the place is about. That's what attracted them to the place. But I think once you're actually here, and you see the interaction between faculty and students and the opportunities that students have and the way that assessment is not driven by letter grades. Even in the courses that where students do receive letter grades, I think there's a much different philosophy about those grades. Um, you, you start to change, and I think students feel very free to experiment, and they have to take risks in order to get proficient as quickly as they do in our programs. What would I say? I think the RC really is not the content, but it's the way it does things that defines us. I'm shaking my head, yes. We're we're pretty heterogeneous in general. I mean, people have very different interests, and I think that fosters, you know, intriguing questions about what people are doing. You have no way to predict who's coming, who's teaching, what they bring to the table. And I think that's exciting for faculty and for students. Learning a language is, particularly in our programs, where you cannot hide. We know you. We see you a lot of times during the day. We have a structured class time, but we also have very informal gatherings, and they're not social clubs. They're really spaces to, to converse, to get to know each other. I think you have to be willing to take risks, to feel vulnerable, because you're learning how to be in someone else's shoes. And I think you understand better how immigrants feel when they feel tongue-tied because they can't say the ideas that they would like to express. Language is so linked to one's identity, and we feel so ashamed of not being able to express ourselves and to convey the wrong image that people might have a wrong idea of who we are. So what I want to say to those students 
is that we welcome them, that we understand the feeling of vulnerability and that part of growing emotionally, intellectually, politically. It's really important for them to feel that way. I understand the, understand it the same way. I live in a country where this is not my language, and I'm always aware of that. And my ability to speak is different than that of a native speaker. And still... Being here has allowed me to know so much, to learn so much, so many. My life is so full of, of experiences that learning a language has facilitated. I, I want to say that it's, it's a fabulous way to, to grow, learning a language. You probably really don't know what kind of language learner you are because our program is so different that you'll find you learn quite naturally in our program just with the support of the co-curricular activities, the daily interactions, the familial, the friendly, supportive atmosphere in the class. And I think most of the students in the, in the residential college find most of their friends in their language class. It's the place where you can share ideas, where you can talk about your interests. Um, and it also can, even though people may think it's going to cause a lot of stress taking a language intensively, I think that you lose a lot of stress in the language classes too. Um, I don't consider it a, ha uh, a successful day if, if we don't all laugh pretty hard a few times during my class period. Almost everybody in this generation describes themselves as a perfectionist, and it's really a humbling thing, especially if you're taking a new language, which I highly encourage people to consider doing because it's a gift at the university. It's a gift in the residential college that you can become proficient in a language you never had. That said, I think it's also really good if you didn't become pr very proficient after years and years of a language. This is a place, welcome home. This is a place where you'll be able to take all those passive skills you've gained and really activate them. There is nothing more exciting than going from zero to 100 miles an hour in that language and to find your friends. And you may feel that everyone around you is so smart, but we all start someplace. And rather than strive for perfection, strive for progress and look at it that way. I, I realized the other day that the word for mistakes in German is Fehler, and the word for helper is helfa, and it's just reversing <laughs> the, the letters, and fehlers and helfa. So um, your, your mistakes are yours. Own them. Mistakes are great. They're hilarious in German, um, which is why we laugh a lot, I guess. And now uh, you want to say something to your alumni in your language and test their ears a little bit? So I have a script that I'm going to read from, just a couple of lines. Um, this was something my students had to read the first night. I think they get a sort of a blast into what German theater is going to be like. Das falsche Leben im falschen falsch falsch ist so falsch, dass du denkst, du lebst. Das kranke Leben im kranken kränkt, krank so krank, dass du denkst, ach, hier bin ich, wo der Schmerz ist. Das kaputte, 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 total kaputt, echt wahr. <risa> yeah. Bueno, a todos los estudiantes que pasaron por nuestro programa, un saludo muy fuerte, les recordamos y bueno, nos encantaría escuchar de ustedes. Thank you, Janet and Olga, for agreeing to be interviewed. 
I co-produced this episode with RC first-year student Zan Hamid. The music is by Mark Kirshenman, Katri Irvima, and Mike Gould, all from the RC Music Faculty. Make sure you subscribe to the RC Podcast on your preferred podcast app. This podcast is a production of the Residential College, a four-year interdisciplinary liberal arts program at the University of Michigan College of Literature, Science, and the Arts, founded 1967 in Ann Arbor. This is Robbie Griswold signing off. Thank <laughs> you.